you know, just like any great retailer, we have to manufacture desire. We have to prove value. We have to make it easy for our customers to say yes and to feel great about doing so. And, and we have to have all of that align with our brands and, and the reason that people want to have better lives and why they're buying a home to have a greater quality of life to be able to live differently. And fortunately, the finishes and the features and, and certainly all the performance aspects and even the, the design preferences that we can solve and express through uh, options that, uh, that a builder may offer a customer, all of that you know, helps to just to celebrate people moving up and on in life. And, and it's a win-win for everyone. and welcome to Building Perspective with Matt Riley and Molly Elfman. We're here to bring value to you and your team by exploring all things sales and marketing related. All from different perspectives. Today, our focus discussion of the week is increasing option sales through customer experience. And we have our very special guest, Jane Marr, with us this week. But first, let's dive into our top topics of the week. And I'm going to go first. So I want to talk today about NAHB resources, because I think a lot of people don't realize that there are so many different ways to get value out of the resources that NAHB has. And it can be overwhelming. Matt and I were just talking about it can even be a little bit intimidating, right, Matt? Oh, absolutely. I agree 100%. So I want to talk about a couple things specifically, one being the International Builder Show, which is in January. It is in Vegas this year. It's not for a while, but I think that there's some feedback that I've gotten that I think is um, super relevant based on what is happening this year. So one of the things that I read is that 80% of the education sessions are going to be new this year. And that really stood out to me because I think a lot of people think the Builder Show is just the same speakers, the same content over and over again. And NEHB is definitely trying to bring new voices and new content. And I think this year that's definitely going to be the case, as well as 35% of the speakers are brand new speakers to the Builder Show. And two of those are actually Group 2 team members who everyone will get to meet there. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Absolutely (laughs) shameless. But to me, the whole idea of 80% of the content being new just really stands out because the fact is things are changing. So how can you not have new content? And it's the same thing for business owners. You know, you have to adapt to the way people are um, getting information and sharing information and it really changes in real time. So I, I I actually love this idea of having just fresh new content that is going to be most relevant at that exact moment in time. So I'm excited about that and, you know, starting to put together my content for the Builder Show. So that's one resource that NEHB has that I think our listeners can always benefit from is, is that in-person event. 
And then as well as that, also local SMCs, so sales and marketing councils. If you're a part of an HBA or a BIA, if you have a local sales and marketing council, definitely join that. We here in Philadelphia did not have one. So we actually just chartered one for the entire region. So we're joining together with a bunch of other HBAs and BIAs, and we're starting a joint SMC. And I'm just so excited about it. So that's a resource that you can have on the local level as well as the national level with the National Sales and Marketing Council, which is a great resource for our listeners. Oh, absolutely. Be involved. Go to your local SMC. A lot of times the SMCs too bring in some really good speakers from all around the country to come in and just hear different points of view and even trainings, things like that. But even kind of rewinding, going back a little bit, Molly, you were talking about the Builder Show and the content and the speakers. And it, what it made me think about was you know, planning your content out, even as a builder, we we're talking about getting your content together for your prospects too. Here we like, we know that the builder show isn't until January, but we're already, you know, we, we had to submit and go through the whole process with NEHB about what we wanted to talk about if we got picked. But now we know that even though we know it's coming up in January, we're already starting to put together the talks because in order to do that, and deliver it effectively, it takes a lot of prep time to do it. And I think that you should be thinking that way as a builder with the content strategy that you're going to put out in front of your customers. Like you have to plan ahead and be thinking, what's the next 90 day outlook, you know, going to be for us for creating that content, putting our, you know, whatever your version of talks are thinking that, thinking that through and putting an actual plan together. That's, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking of as you were, as you were talking about that too. Yeah, it's absolutely true. A lot of builders don't realize that September and October is really the time to plan for the following year. So like even further beyond content planning, it's, it's really your overall marketing plan for the, for the, for the following year. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Okay. I have, I got this email and I get these weekly. So if you haven't signed up or heard of it before, it's called Think with Google. And I get these like weekly thought starters on Monday mornings sent to me. And it's just like case studies or different statistics. And sometimes they're not relevant and other times they're extremely relevant. So I'm going to share one I got this, uh, this week. And it's really interesting because what it found or what it talked about was how smartphones have influenced the entire travel journey. So what people are, how they're, how they're searching for trips. And what was really interesting is it said that in the United States, it's now saying that 48% of all the United States population and smartphone users are comfortable researching, booking, planning their entire trip to a new travel destination only using a mobile device. So you're talking about, let's just say we're going to go to Paris for the very first time. We've never been there. And they're going to sit down and look through all the photos, look through all the videos, look through all the reviews, book their travel, their hotels, their trains, like whatever, getting across Europe all on their mobile device. I think that's big. It, I think it's really big. And for me, I actually just did this for the first time. I went to Denver and I plan. I did everything on my phone and I didn't realize it until you said that. 
thinking about it, I did do the whole thing on my phone. And, you know, a lot of it for me was using apps. So for example, Airbnb, I just go right to the Airbnb app. I have that on my phone and I'm able to search very easily right from my phone and find great places to stay. Yeah. I I think that you know, the mobile experience and you, you were already starting to see it or you know it when you go to a website and they start that little banner pops across at the top that says like download our app. You know, sometimes you're like, I don't want to download your app. But other times when you do, one, I think that that wraps you. You're, that means I think you're taking a whole nother step into that brand, into what it is that you're looking for. And you download the app and you find a lot of times that the app allows you a little bit better or sometimes a lot better experience with that company, with that brand utilizing their app interface versus just the website interface. Yeah. And I, go, I, go ahead. I think um, one area, like one industry where they're doing this well is actually airlines and they don't do much well, but they, they happen to have the app thing <laughs> down. And the reason is because there is added value to having the app on your phone. So um, some of these airlines that I would never download their app, like United, for example, in order to access their in-flight entertainment, you have to download the app and then you have all these options that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So now I have this app on my phone and, you know, I'm scrolling through my phone and I'm seeing United throughout the day. So I think if building companies can find a reason for people to have their app and their logo on their phone every day, I mean, talk about, you know, getting eyeballs on on your brand and, and being, uh, you know, differentiating yourself with the content on your app and what you're offering to people. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And actually, before my old builder, building company, Royal Oaks Homes, uh, before we sold and closed to Mattamy Homes, it was this was November of 2017, that was on the roadmap for my 2018. So I was actually budgeting and planning to go down the road of building an app as a home builder that was the whole point of it was to be you know, engaging for customers, meaning pro, I should say prospects, that once they get to the site, they can get into a whole different level of experience for searching and being notified when homes have become available, new communities pop up, special messages. So us being able to push specific notifications through to people that download the app, but also take it all the way through and using it as a post-closing tool as well. So once they close, they then have the app that always accesses their warranty manual, tips and tricks on, you know, how to shut off your water or how to, you know, how to clean your air filter, just whatever it may be, tips for maintenance, but also being able to, oh, I need this warranty claim, being able to do it all right from the app. So that was something that was on our roadmap. Obviously we sold the company and, you know, that didn't happen for you know the obvious reasons, but that was something that we were going to go down the path of in a 20 in 2018 and we're going to go full steam ahead with it. And I think that it just really enhances the buy-in with the brand and with the consumer. Yeah. I wonder if any builders are doing this really well and I would love our listeners to share any examples of that or or apps that they've seen that they think are really just nailing it. Yeah. I, if, if you guys know of any builders specific that are doing a really good job on the app, 
put it in our building perspective Facebook group and let's talk about it as a community inside there and let's identify what's going really well or if this is something that you're thinking about doing and you have questions and you want to pose it to the group and and let's let's have that discussion in there because I think that's a a really good one to have and it's an area that we need to start looking into if you're not already doing it all right love it all right good stuff all right so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then what we're going to do is we're going to come back with our focus discussion of the week with our special guest jane marr and she's going to be talking about increasing option sales through the customer experience so can't wait it's going to be awesome awesome information and we'll be right back with jane Right, and we are back, and we are going to dive right into our focus discussion of the week this week. And we have our special guest, Jane Marr, with us, and so excited to have her on the show. So I am really, really excited, especially to have Jane here today, because I have to say, Jane has been a friend and mentor to me my entire career. She was one of the most welcoming people to me when I joined the housing industry. And I have to say, you know how you have people in your life who are just kind of rooting for you to succeed? Jane is that person. And she, I, I believe she's not just that for me, but I believe she is that for all the people she works with. So um, Jane, you are so inspiring. You know I love you. I want to hear, if you don't mind, a little bit about your story, how you got into housing, and just some background on what you do. Wow. Well, um, hi, everybody. Thank you, Molly. That was, thank you for your kind words. And I, I would certainly have to say watching what you've done with Group 2 is uh, incredibly, incredibly inspiring for me as well. So right back at you. So I have been in the housing industry my whole career. My background is in the sale and marketing of new homes. I oversaw marketing for multiple builders. I have a real estate license. I sold homes. I spent many years as a vice president of an interior merchandising firm where I started to merge my background of sales and marketing with the design part of the industry. And for the last 18, 19 years now, um, I've owned Success Strategies, and we are, as the name implies, a strategy company, not a design company. We are a strategy company working in the exciting part of home personalization and the broader part of how to sell and market homes and drive profit and revenue. That's that's a lot. That and I, I think that I think that um, what's key there is what you said is you're a strat. You, you do strategy, and your medium really is via a design center and and enhancing the customer experience. I think that's key. Yeah, I think that is key, and I think it's. Uh, I, I feel so blessed to work in this part of the industry where we can have such a massive impact on the quality of the customer experience and the builder's bottom line at the same time. And I do think a lot of people think we are an interior design company, and that is a super awesome skill, which I do not possess, <laughs> but I have respect for. Yeah, we really study consumer purchase psychology. We study the mechanics of decision-making. We study global trends, not just in design, which we study that, but 
but really in customer experience and how consumers want to shop and buy. And we bring that knowledge to builders, mostly through the design studio portion of their business, whether they have a physical design studio or not. But what we teach uh, often and, and frequently expands into other parts of their business and other departments in the company as well, because it's wholly applicable to selling the home in general and the whole home building business culture and brand. Yeah, I find this, I know Molly does too. We talk about this all the time. It, the psychology behind everything. It's not just the thing. It's the psychology behind why people do what they do. And it's always something that we're talking about. It fascinates me. And it's one of the main reasons why for my entire career, I've always been drawn to the sales and marketing side of things. Not because I can get people to buy stuff, but because I, I really am fascinated with why people do what they do. And I think that that's why you've been so successful and helped so many builders, because I, I mean, I feel like that's something that fascinates you. You study it so much um, and how what they why people do what they do can ultimately drive profits. Yeah, I, that, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I, I do, to this day, still geek out big time on really understanding the way the brain works and the power that we have to influence it for the greater good. You know, I, I think there's such a fallacy that, you know, if people want something, they'll come in and buy it. And to me, that's a, that's kind of a, a foreign and, you know, if you don't mind my saying, so maybe even like a little bit of a lazy attitude. You know, just like any great retailer, we have to manufacture desire. We have to prove value. We have to make it easy for our customers to say yes and to feel great about doing so. And, and we have to have all of that align with our brands and, and the reason that people want to have better lives and why they're buying a home to have a greater quality of life, to be able to live differently. And fortunately, the finishes and the features and, and certainly all the performance aspects and even the, the design preferences that we can solve and express through uh, options that, uh, that a builder may offer a customer, all of that, you know, helps to just to celebrate people moving up and on in life. And, and it's a win-win for everyone. I love everything that's coming out of your mouth, and it is so obvious why we are so close because uh, we definitely have a similar way of thinking. Um, you just said a couple things that kind of caught my attention. One, just you have been in the industry for a long time and expectations of consumers have definitely shifted. So as you're seeing those shifts, like, are there any key things that our listeners can learn of how to make it easy to get that? Yes. Yes. So many. Um, I'm not sure where to start on that, but yeah. I, I think we're at a very exciting time in um, the way that we live, shop, and buy as consumers, the way we connect with our brand. You know, there's there's so many shifts in the greater consumer psyche. So I, I'll try to maybe just speak to one of, okay, I have an idea. Actually, uh, at our last national conference, one of the things we talked about, we did a program called the 10 Rules of Retailing. And one of them was about the consumer trend. This was two years ago. So now it's it's really obvious, but it's kind of just hitting its height uh, of beginning a good popularity two years ago. And that was the consumer trend towards things like Stitch Fix and HelloFresh and all of these um, help you do it better, quicker, with more support type purchases where you answer a few questions 
and an expert personalizes or curates a collection of solutions that are just going to fit your needs. And so we we kind of dived into that a little bit and looked at, you know, where are their lessons for us? How can we in the building industry capitalize on uh, something that clearly shows a new way that consumers want to buy? And so just a really small, you know, connection point to my world on that would be the idea of um, maybe doing some digging deep and getting some discovery in advance of the uh, lifestyle needs and design preferences the customers have ahead of time, and then presenting a group of products to them as a solution when they first come in for their design appointment. And not that you know they have to, to, to necessarily say yes to what we put together, but I liken it to kind of the Nordstrom shopper experience. And so whether, you know, and it's, it's, there's so many little fine points on this, you know, the, the consumer doesn't, shouldn't feel pressured that they have to choose what the design consultant has put together because likely they won't. So it's about making it a win for just getting that far. And so a lot of times we'll present something and say to the customers, you know, thank you so much for sharing with me based on what I've learned about your needs and preferences. I've put a few things together for us to just take a look at. And I'd love to get your feedback, whether you love it or don't love it, whatever is your opinion is what's just perfect. And that way we can get started more quickly moving in the direction of your unique personalized home. And then the design consultant can say, you know, you mentioned to me, you know, Jenny, you want to have a more ease and convenience cooking every day in your kitchen. You're frust frustrated now. I have a few ideas for you. Or it can be something about a design style, you know, and, and referencing back how the customer phrased what they wanted and how you think the products can be solutions to those needs. So that's just hopefully that makes sense. One little way of understanding how consumers want to purchase today. No, I love it. I love that you brought up, uh, use an example of Stitch Fix. And I think that Stitch Fix is one of those things, if you've never heard of it, I think it's a lot of people think it's utilized for women. I know my wife started it and then I use it every month. I, I have Stitch Fix come to my house. It's sh a shipment sent once a month. And A, I'm lazy. I don't have to go look for anything. And then B, someone has, based on the questions that they know about me, has curated something and then sent me a recommendation. And a lot of times it's things that if I were just going through the store myself, I wouldn't have necessarily caught my eye or picked up to say, oh, I really like that shirt. I really like those pants or whatever it may be. And it, it makes me think, and, I'm, and I'll, I mean, almost every single time I keep at least one thing and I, I will pay for that convenience and that experience. And I think when we talk about the customer experience and the psychology of why people do what they do, I'm going to rewind just for a second here, is... There, the, the home shopping process, it's this, you know, this, it can, especially building, it can be thought of as this incredibly stressful process. And there's horror stories that people have heard, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend built the house and it was just a nightmare. And a lot of times that we can alleviate, there's things that we can do to alleviate that process. And it's, it's so, it's got the emotional up and downs. And the front of the process is it's such an emotional process when they buy, when they go through the, when they, when they hit that point where they've picked their home site, they've picked the floor plan that they're going to build, that they've decided that they're going to create memories in with their family. And they do that. And that's this big emotional peak. And a lot of times that can trough out, it drops off. 
And a lot of times people make the mistake. I say people, that means builders. Builders make the mistake of they lump the, the, the stuff, the cabinets, the countertops, the things that go inside the house into this, well, it's just, they'll just go make their selections. But in reality, it is what gonna is what is gonna bring that buyer from the you know from the peak to trough of excitement back up to another peak of excitement throughout the process. In all reality, it could be considered one of the most emotional tie-ins in the building process with the customer because now they're actually personalizing what they're how they're gonna live their life and how they're gonna create memories. Do you do you see that with the builders you work with? Oh, 100%. There's such an opportunity for a paradigm shift in the industry, you know, which has been occurring, but but some builders haven't quite got there yet, which is to think about this part of the experience, home personalization, really being an emotional high point rather than an emotional low point. And in fact, we do get a lot of calls from builders who are asking us to improve a mediocre or fix a really poor design studio experience that is negatively affecting you know, brand image and, and willingness to refer rates. And so, you know, you kind of said it before, it's such an emotional point. There's certainly an inherent anxiety in buying a home and for sure in the concept of personalizing a new home. Am I going to get the products I want at, you know, prices or we use the word investments that I can afford, you know, in a process that won't be a nightmare. Often those three items are hurdles that a builder has to overcome to get an otherwise uh, ready to purchase customer over the finish line. And it relates back to what we were talking about, I think in the last question, which is the opportunity to truly serve our customers in a way where the design consultant is not just an order taker, but in fact is what we call upserving the customer. We are really truly educating them and empowering them to make their own best decisions rather than having them come in and we're going to pretty much just document what you want, get it done quickly so we can move on building the home. Clearly, that is a very outdated approach. But when we think about how we can upserve our customers. Jane, I love this idea of upserving rather than upselling. And I, I know you and I know that that is very purposeful in the language that you use. You, you won't be surprised. We go into some builders who literally still have a bunch of products on the floor in their basement of their model. And that, of course, is uh, that service and making this customer experience strong is definitely not a part of, of that experience. One of the things that you mentioned or that we've always talked about over the years is this feeling. And I know for you, you get into the messaging and the images a lot because just seeing a lot of product can be overwhelming. And I think one of the things that differentiates you is you really look at that whole picture and what, you know, not just putting more images of product on the wall, but really incorporating a lifestyle message. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I think everything starts with the lifestyle needs and the design preferences. So we look at kind of without getting too deep that on theory stuff, we look at kind of how both the left directed brain and the right directed brain make decisions. And Molly, you know more than most people how that whole right directed brain process is about, you know, imagery and, you know, kind of visual and uh, having holistic solutions to a problem where Kind of the left directed brain is really about comparing and contrasting and looking at facts and data and weeding out, uh, you know, contrasting choices until we have one final choice. 
in a design studio, we have to have both. And I think sometimes the environments can be very transactional. There's racks of products, there's crap on the floor. And there, what happens is maybe kind of sort of, you know, the buyer can compare and contrast and find a solution, but we're missing the whole right directed brain energy of providing a, a solution that is a, a comprehensive solution, seeing how products will work together, say in a kitchen or a bathroom and, and having that visual and comprehensive solution be a driver for someone to invest. And so we do believe very strongly that the physical design studio environment, as well as verbal information, anything else the customer sees, online, digital, anything, we have to be able to support both parts of the way the human brain works if we want to achieve desired results. So I hope that answered the question. Yeah, for sure it did. And you know, what's really funny about that is you're talking about left brain, right brain, and that is literally why we started this podcast. Matt and I are opposites in every way, including how we think and how we process information. And that really was the inspiration behind building perspective. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So we talk about, you know, you were talking about having the comparing and contrasting and then the visual of of, of seeing all the different options and, and processing that. And I, I, my brief story on that, it, it shows how it works and how also elevating the customer experience also has a positive impact on the bottom line. And like Molly touched on it, you know, so many builders, it's like they, they have their still, they still have their in a bedroom or in the basement or the options, you know, you're going to pick between these three flooring colors and here's your two countertop options and here's the cabinets. And so many people are still in that mindset because they want to still feel like they control that process and they view letting the customer go down the design studio route as a like, oh my gosh, it's going to take forever for me to get this customer to wrap this stuff up so I can get this house built. And instead of saying, okay, we can put some parameters in place to make sure that it still stays timely, but how do we elevate our brand experience, therefore the experience of their customer, and then they're going to reward us with that experience by spending more money. We're going to make more profits at the end of the day. So for me, it, you know, my, my builder at Royal Oaks Homes before we sold to Mattamy was we had, you know, we were doing 200, 250 homes a year out of a design studio that was less smaller than maybe a three car garage. And at the time there was no like express studios. You hadn't invented that express studio yet. So that hadn't hit the market, but what, you know, we were a brand that were, we were feature heavy on what we included in the price. And we really played that up on our marketing as much more of a affordable luxury and things like that. But when people got to our design, what we called our design studio at the time, they, it was almost a brand letdown because they would get there and it's like you, your, your homes are so nice and the finishes are so nice and the look and feel of your sales process and your marketing all has this, the brand elevated. And then we came in to the design center and our choices were so limited. The experience itself wasn't great. The customers were spending four hours, five hours in one visit to try to essentially pick out their entire house. And they were spending on average four to $5,000 in upgrades on a house. Well, then we flipped the, then we flipped it upside down and we built a 4,000 square foot design center 
We had the appropriate staff. We split up the appointments where they came in and did a preview appointment. We came, they came in and then they did a final. So we split that up into two meetings and the experience, the, the brand saw a lift and then the customer experience was substantially better because we weren't jamming a six hour session down their throat one time. So you have to pick everything here and they rewarded us by more than doubling. So we went to $15,000 on average in design center upgrades and options compared to that four to $5,000 range. And all we did is we gave them more choice. We gave them parameters and we increased the customer experience by doing the things that you were just talking about and letting them see, compare and contrast, and then still analyze the information that's in front of them and make a choice. Do you, when you're working with builders out there, do you see that type of lift when they're going from nothing to, do you see that as a, as a, a brand lift as, as well? Oh my gosh. Yes, Matt, that's such a great story. And one that we are privileged to hear many times from our clients who go through some type of improvement to their options program, whether it's a new design studio, new and improved uh, product offering, you know, more appropriate pricing or investment amounts, you know, better training, better procedures, all uh, any of that. I love, love, love what you said. And yes, of course that's possible. And what is utterly fascinating every day still to me, and I, I, I'm sure to both of you, is that with that increase in high margin profit, you know, dollars for the builder, a uh, high margin revenue, with that, I bet did not come a drop in volume of home sales or a drop in customer experience satisfaction. To the contrary, it probably helped. It did. So how amazing is it? that we can thrill and delight our customers and thrill and delight our company. And they, they're the opposite of mutually exclusive, right? They, they occur at the same time. And I think you touched on something really important is maybe a, a misperception out there for builders who haven't yet done what your old company did. And that is that if you want to have a high level of included features, that's part of your brand's entity. We don't come in and tell people to lower their included features. I mean, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't, but that's a marketing decision based on the competitive landscape and where your position, your company and where there's voids and opportunities in the marketplace competitively. That's nothing to do with design studios, although design studios then have to work off what that included feature level is. Sure. So there's a lot of strategies we can apply to that, but we're certainly not going to go in and tell a builder you're over specking. So even, and, and so the, I guess the point I want to make is when a builder has a high level of included features, they now have almost an obligation. I would say an obligation that when the buyers come into their design studio, there is a quality level in both breadth and depth to the options that they offer their customers who have already shown by buying from them or being attracted to their brand that they care about performance and design and that the high level of included features was a compelling reason to buy, like you said so well, Matt, they can't then dip down and have nothing further. You know, it's like, you know, you're attracting a customer who cares about this stuff. You know, we almost have an obligation at that point to allow them and their home to reach its full potential by choosing to invest or not into, into other products that, that provide those results and more. 
So, you know, the other thing that you touch on that I think builders are sometimes afraid of is like you said something about they go into the design suit and all hell breaks. Yeah. We are big proponents of skew rationalization, of not allowing the buyers to have everything under the sun, of having a strategically derived product assortment where there's a strategy around how different levels of tile or hardware or cabinets are created, that there is meaningful differences that compel someone to move up to a higher level, all of this, and having a closed box. It's not Pandora's box. And marketing that in a way that sets appropriate customer expectations. Yeah, I I completely agree. So we saw a customer sat lift. We saw total volume dollars increase. We saw gross margin increase. So if I was at, you know, a 25% gross margin on the base base plan of a house, by the time they were done, I could see a three to 4% lift on each individual house across the board. But that almost happened through osmosis because we were focused on the customer experience and because we did feel like, and we were getting feedback that it was a brand letdown. But then something else happened when, you know, you and I talked a lot and it was one of those things that was like, we need to, we've got this beautiful space and we need to make sure that we're utilizing it as a sales tool as well, not just once someone signed their contract. And so we saw a sales lift for prospects that were considering purchasing a home with us, especially against other builders in the area. And they're in the Raleigh market, which is where I was and am, there's a, there was a huge influx of national builders and not many of them had an actual design studio. And so they were being forced to do their options out of the basement or a bedroom. And then when they would come into our design studio before contract would happen, and we took the time to walk them through what the process was going to be like and let them get an understanding of what they could spend and what they could personalize in their home, we would win that sale over the other builder, I, we would do two a month. Two, I don't know if you recommend this or not, but we would do two, uh, what we call like open houses every month. And I, every single time we had at least one prospect come from that design center open house and go buy a house the next day. I love what you're saying so much. Amen, amen. <laughs> Everything that you're saying, Matt, is so aligned with, with, of course, obviously, you know, what is the right thing to do? We strongly believe that we should leverage the concept of personalization, the specific design studio environment, the products that are available and offered, the world-class experience, all of these elements individually or together can be leveraged as a compelling USP, a reason to buy from this builder to be aligned with the builder's high quality, customer focused brand. Um, and, and to really, one of the things that we really, really try to impress is to reimagine the customer experience. We say gone are the days when there was this linear predictable experience years ago and builders still operate this way. You know, someone opened the newspaper and they saw an ad and then they drove to the sales center and then they saw a model home and then they bought and then they maybe went somewhere to a design center for like a couple of hours or maybe an hour and it was done. And it was like this sequential process. When we talk about reimagining a customer experience, that includes having a design studio, the environment, the professionals in it, the products that are available in it, the amazing experience that will unfold, having all of this 
be front-loaded to the sales experience before someone buys, especially if the builder has a world-class design studio. Why are we saving it for after they buy yeah. and not having it be a reason to show how completely focused we are on the customer experience? So two points on that. One would be, you know, we, we do a lot of training for sales teams on how to leverage personalization and the design studio as a compelling reason to buy. And we teach them to say, something to the effect of, you know, the reason that we here at Whatever Homes invested into creating this world-class design studio is, you know, it's just one, one more example of our unwavering commitment to providing the very best home buying experience possible. So we tie it to all the other things that the builder does as a company to be very focused on consumers. And that certainly aligns with what customers today want to hear. And there's just so much you can do to leverage this studio. And 1 million percent having events, open houses, realtor events, events for the industry. We, we talk a lot about co-branding with other companies that are in your local area, using your design studio as a place to create a public awareness of the brand and, and buzz. There's, there, it's endless, really, what you can do with it as a sales tool. It is. And I think there's another misconception that I'd love to hear your thoughts on is builders will think, well, think that they need to have it or they don't want it because they, they don't want the giant overhead. But the misconception of I've got to, you know, do I have to have this big giant space with all of these options? You know, maybe in my market, it's or in my area, it's really difficult to come to find that kind of space, or I'm not big enough, quote unquote, to have a 4,000 square foot design center, where do you look at and help make a determination? Okay, you don't need this much space. What does that part of the process look like? I've heard you use the term, you know, express studio, and you used a term earlier when you talked about the stitch fix thing. It was talking about curation, curating different things. Like, where, where's the line? Where, where do you start making recommendations there? Well, that's a great question. And, and I think, you know, the size of this studio is important, but, you know, we've seen, you know, 8,000 square foot, really horrible spaces and, you know, 1,800 square foot amazing spaces that are, are driving revenue, uh, you know, customer satisfaction, brand awareness and all that great stuff. So I, I think the size is to me, it's, um, it's kind of almost like a technical function of the number of concurrent appointments, the quantity of product that's offered, the uh, buyer profile, and, um, you know, if, if we think they have the propensity and the desire, if we do a good job, to invest $80,000 on top of their home versus, you know, $5,000 or $20,000, all those things and, and many, many other factors go into deciding how much space you need. So I think that the space itself is probably less important. Uh, you referenced our express program, we, we have, you know, we've created over 160 design studios and design studio creation of the physical space is just one type of way we support builders. But in that area, you know, we have a program called Ultimate Design Studio, which has been responsible for our being blessed enough to have won 27 national awards for best design studio. That's a very robust program. Yes, our design studio express program, which is new as of maybe four or five years ago, helps builders with potentially smaller space to more uh it's a more quicker affordable easier way of connecting with us for studio creation but the other thing that you mentioned in your question was about curating product assortment you know how we decide how many 
levels of cabinets we're going to have, what that pricing structure looks like, and how much breadth we have in each level, and what are the interior or visible options for cabinets that can be, you know, added to that. All of that is about curating a customer-focused collection of products like any retailer does. And that is in some ways, you know, it's, it's independent of the space you have. You know, we say all the time, you should decide what you want to offer and present to your customers, what, what you want to offer, what are the right options for your target market? And then there's a secondary conversation about how do we present them and do we have enough space to present all of them? And if not, how do we prioritize so it always starts with the collection. We don't create a space and then decide what to fill it with. You know, you, you always have to look at your product assortment first, because if you don't get that right, it doesn't really matter what the store looks like or how trained the sales team is, or if you have the right policies and procedures. Well, all of these things have to work, but of utmost importance is, is offering the right stuff in the store, so to speak. Okay. So I have two questions for you. One, when you're talking about product, I know over the years, best practice has definitely shifted as far as how much to show. I know for me personally, I get decision fatigue. I get overwhelmed by too many options. So I'm curious if there's a number that is kind of standard or if it is 100% specific to the market and the product and the builder. That is a great question. Um, so there, there are metrics and best practices that we would use to guide a, a, a builder to have a more consistent product assortment across all categories, meaning that they don't have too much in one that drives desire for more than they need in another, and then they disappoint the customer. So there's also like a relative quantity between categories and subcategories of products that matter. Okay, that makes sense. And that goes right back to where we started with strategy. Right. And so really how much a builder offers within, let's say, what we would think is a theoretically acceptable range, where they fall within that is really going to be tied to their brand image. You know, if they're selling on value versus they're selling on, you know, design or wh whatever their USPs of the company are, uh, it's certainly tied to the price point that the initial investment is into the home and how much discretionary income the customer might be comfortable investing you know, it, it's certainly tied to a lot of other things like that. But decision fatigue is a huge thing. So one of the most, you know, probably two of the most common complaints that we all know we hear coming out of design studios is I was overwhelmed and rushed. And that doesn't actually necessarily mean the builder offered too much product or not enough time, although it could and maybe is likely to. But really what it means is we didn't control the customer experience. We didn't support them enough. We didn't front load information in a way that makes it digestible. It's not just how much product you offer. It's how you present it visually, which could be in person or digitally, or probably both, or verbally by the design consultant. It could be the sequence and the way that the customer was guided through the decisions. Did it create chaos or what? did it make sense? So while quantity of choice is a hugely important strategy to look at, other techniques need to support that in terms of how the customer digests the amount of information, how well we as a builder prepare them. When we hear builders tell us their customers can't make decisions, it's a great clue. It, it's like now we have to be detectives and dive into why is it the customer feels that they can't make decisions. It's not their fault. With all due respect, it's the builder fault. I'll include me in that, right? It's our fault. We have to do something different and better 
because we know without a doubt, the customer can feel empowered, that they can make good decisions. They can feel completely satisfied with their decisions. If they're not, it's, it just tells us we have an opportunity to do some work and create something special for them. That's amazing. I have to say, as you're talking, I'm thinking she can never leave the industry because nobody else does what you do. It's really, so one thing I've never talked to you about, I want to go in a little bit of a different direction is really the role of technology and how technology is shifting the customer experience. So I want to know how that has already affected what you're seeing with options programs, but also what you think the future might look like. Well, I think it's, fairly obvious that this industry, which is beloved to me, and I know to you too as well, so I say this with with love in my heart, that we are severely behind in offering the right type of technology that other retailers offer to their customers. And we are not a technology-focused company. In other words, we don't offer builder software. We do a lot of work with how you use the builder software, but but we don't sell a technology product. But I strongly believe that there has to be both the physical and the and the digital. You know, we, we all know, like, it's almost stupid to say these days, yes, people want to sit in the comfort of their home at 11 o'clock in their bathroom and shop online. Like, obviously, we're past that. We know that. But as builders, we don't do a great job of that. You know, the software continues to improve, whether it's, you know, software or digital, online, whatever. The technology continues, I should say, to improve. So I think that builders need a mix of both. And when you look at, you know, sales of luxury products, people say, well, people buy cars all the time online. Yes, they do. People also test drive cars. And some people do drive cars without test driving them. But that could be because the brand of that car does such a amazing job with their internationally renowned you know, agencies to, to market the product that they have this, you know, people have a strong, compelling, I have to, I'm not a car person, but, you know, I have to buy this BMW or this, you know, whatever it is. You know, people don't really buy expensive jewelry online to the extent that they do clothing, which can be returned. So when we look at the fact that the options that you put into your home cannot be returned, you're making final lasting decisions you're going to live with literally on a daily basis for years. And we look at the fact that many buyers are happily investing tens of thousands of dollars in design studios. Can it be done completely digitally? I'm sure it can. I'm not saying it can't be successfully done completely digitally, but I think the builder, you know, builders want to control the experience and have their people have a human connection to home buyers. So while I think there's tremendous opportunity that I look forward to our industry capturing in the way we better use digital resources, I think there also has to be personal guidance because we're we're offering to the customer, you know, bazillions of interrelated options that all need to go together. And we want the customer for brand alignment to feel that we didn't just dump this on them. It's a, it is it's certainly a complicated process that we can make fulfilling and amazing. So I think there has to be both digital and physical in some way. And I cannot wait to see the future of how those two things merge. I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, I have so many conversations with builders across the country and, you know, they'll sit down and go do a site visit, go to dinner. Like what's next? When do you think we're going to be able to, is it going to be where we're going to not have to have a model home where it's all going to be just virtual? And this, and the conversation also comes up with design centers. Like, can we just do everything digital? And I think, I mean, the answer is 
technically, from a technical standpoint, you could do everything digitally, but you lose that human connection. You lose, I, I think, that brand experience. And I think that the best of both worlds is integrating technology into the customer touch, customer experience with the human being. And a perfect example would be it's really cost and space prohibitive to build a design center with, it's impossible, with every different kitchen possibility that you can do, right? Kitchen's the, the singular most important thing in the house. And you can't build a design studio with 30 different kitchen types in it. I mean, I guess you could, but you're going to have to have, you know, 100,000 square feet or whatever. But you get into a spot where you're like, okay, we can show some physical capabilities. And then that's where you make it interactive. And I think this is how you mix the technology into the design center. And that's where you go, okay, now you're seeing this cabinet, these cabinets, you're seeing a sample of this countertop. But now you can virtually go in and see what it would look like if you made that application or you applied that color or that choice to an entire kitchen. Like you mentioned retail, you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or any place like that. I mean, you can go in there now and say and, and grab a color off the shelf and then say, what would that look like? I can bring my photos of my house in there. And I can say, what would this kitchen look like if I painted the walls blue in their physical store? And they have virtual areas where you can actually see what that looks like. And that, in my opinion, that's how I really start to see the mesh of the best of both worlds. You get that, you get the advantages of digital, but you still get that customer experience and touch. Yeah, I mean, I love that. I think one of the types of technology that builders need to start using and, and, and have good technology out there for is that visualization, right? So that at the touch of a button, I can see everything come together. There's certainly other types of technology for uh, creating a library of options or documenting customer decisions on included and in optional features that they invest into. Those are other types of technology, all of which hopefully will continue to get better at. But there are also other ways to get the buyer over the ambiguity of how is this going to look together. We do all kinds of things physically in our design studios that help the buyer more quickly come to a place where they can say yes. And again, it's about understanding what they need to see and understand about the product to be able to, to say yes, not only to this, this, and this, but to all of these things together as part of one large investment where dollars need to go back and forth and priorities need to shift. And, and how do we get them to be comfortable with that? There certainly are things we can do procedurally, and there are things we can do with physical tools in the studio. And something like you're talking about visualization would be a big part of a, of a winning suite of solutions to amp up the way we serve our customers in our studios. Jane, this has just been amazing content. We could actually talk to you all day. We we love you. We appreciate your time and having you on today. I think we um, have taken up plenty of your time. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your thoughts with us. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor to, to do this with two people that I have so much respect for. And what you guys are doing is super cool. And I'm continuing to watch the meteoric rise of your company with fascination and cheering you on, yes. And I hope for everyone that's listening, we've you know managed to spark some ideas today that will help you do better tomorrow than you did today, because that's what life is all about.
That's right. And and if anybody wants to reach out to you and connect, what is the what's the best way for them to do that? Our website is optforsuccess.net. That's O-P-T, the number four, the word success.net. And I will give your listeners a little teaser. Now would be a great time to go onto our website and enter your email address to get some really valuable stuff that we're going to give away because we've been known in the past to open up new and revolutionary opportunities to learn more to people that have connected with us on our website or Facebook first and to give them some special purchase opportunities. And we might have some really revolutionary and exciting things that we might be announcing in the coming months. So Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> I like I like the word revolutionary, right? I do not say that lightly. Trust me when I tell you. <laughs> I love it. I can hear your smile, which is getting me excited to to see what's going on. We've been working on something for a year and I'm pumped. So. We're pumped too. We can't wait. Awesome. We know we can't wait to see it because in in Jane typical Jane fashion, it's gonna be spectacular. Thank you. Well, we're excited. That's awesome. Say. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Best of luck to everyone out there. Thanks again, Jane. We loved having you on today. Absolutely. That was filled with tons and tons of great insight as per what uh, we would expect from Jane Marr. So very, very great stuff. Okay, guys, that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you all so much for joining us on another episode of Building Perspective. You can join the conversation with us on our Facebook group called, well, Building Perspective, where you can ask questions and get them read and answered on the show. It's been fun building perspective together, and we'll talk with you soon. Mm -hmm.